good morning, good morning. How are you today? Good. Good to have you in the house. This morning I want to begin a little differently. I'm going to ask you to participate with me in the at least the introduction part of today's message. I want to ask you to get in your mind, if you had like, not your last meal, but like a really good meal to go to somewhere here in Austin, get your favorite meal somewhere. Let's say that you were going to go get a steak somewhere, your, your favorite meal, or if you're not a Christian, some other meal. And you, you wanted to sit down and you wanted to select very, very carefully who you would be dining with at this meal. I'm not talking about somebody from history or a famous person. I'm talking about somebody in your life right now that if you just had just a night out on the town just to enjoy conversation, to enjoy a meal, to enjoy time with, who would you put on your invitation list, on this very carefully curated list? Who would you invite? And this is not your last meal, so don't put too much pressure on it. This is just a really good meal to go enjoy. Who would you invite to be at this meal with you? And as you're thinking about that, I want you to kind of think about the type of people that you are automatically excluding and the type of people that you're kind of naturally gravitating toward. As you're compiling your list, I'm going to tell you about a moment that I had this past week as I was at home working on this message. I knew that my wife, Julie, was out and about running errands and we were looking forward to this weekend because our daughter, Emily, was going to be in town from college in South Carolina. She was coming home for a few days, and we knew that this was coming. But on Thursday of this week, I was at home working on my sermon. I heard the back door open. I knew Julie was on her way, and I said, hey, babe, I'm in here. I'm working, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, okay, thanks. And all of a sudden, our daughter, Emily, came around the corner carrying in her hand for me a Chick-fil-A Arnold Palmer. Now, before I go any further in this story, is there anybody... Now, this is church, so this is a safe place, okay? Is there anybody here who does not know what an Arnold Palmer is? Let me just see. If you don't know what an Arnold Palmer is, that's okay. Be proud. That's all right. We're about to educate you and enlighten you spiritually. An Arnold Palmer is a beverage that is half iced tea and half lemonade. It is the finest thing you have ever tasted. Now, also, the ratio is critical. It needs to be a little bit more iced tea than lemonade. And it ain't sweet tea. It's plain tea with regular lemonade. And if you put diet lemonade in that, woe be unto you. Do not tell anybody you go to church here. (laughs) But that's an Arnold Palmer. Half iced tea, half lemonade, a little more iced tea than lemonade. But my daughter came in town a day earlier than I was expecting her. My wife, sneak that she is, snuck Emily into town a day early. Now, I told you that to tell you this. In our household, we plan celebrations and weekends like this around meals. Does anybody else want to help me preach that sermon? I mean, when you're going to gather together, you have got to eat well. And so when Emily came into town a day early, I knew that the feast was on. But I got to tell you, of all the food that we have consumed over the last few days together as a family, it pales in comparison just to what Emily brings to the table, literally, when she's home, she just kind of injects life into our life. She, she brings a lot of passion, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of opinions with her. We don't know where she got this. Must have been a recessive gene somewhere. But Emily is one of those people that I would invite to my meal of choice. Whoever you would put on your invitation list to that meal, I do know this about them. They are people who 
speak life into your life. Like the song that we just heard. Those are the people who speak life. Those are the people who literally encourage us. Those are the people who who sometimes can kind of challenge us. Sometimes who will tell us what we need to hear and not just we want to hear, but we know when the chips are down, those are the people in our lives that we can trust because they speak life into our lives. And it's that picture that I think helps us to begin this series of messages that we're starting this weekend called Life on Tap because of all of the things that you want to say about Jesus, no matter where you are spiritually, no matter what your presuppositions may be, you have to acknowledge the fact that Jesus speaks life into our lives. And it's not just the fact that he speaks life into our lives, but that he is life in our lives. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what presuppositions you walked in the door with. You may not even be a person of faith yet. But I do know this. Jesus is all about life. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what this really means, how we live that out day in and day out. And this whole series, Life on Tap, is based in one conversation that Jesus had. There there was one day in the life of Jesus that was so profound, God saw fit to include it in the biblical record that you and I still go to 2,000 years after it happened. It's recorded in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus has a conversation that is so taboo. It is so off limits in his day and age that the fact that it even happens blew the minds, not only of people watching from the outside, but even Jesus' closest followers. In John chapter 4, the Bible records the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Now, the Bible tells us that this woman was a Samaritan woman. So right off the bat, you've got to understand there were two really significant cultural layers that Jesus had to penetrate in order to even have this conversation. First of all, she was a woman. And in this day and age, Men and women who were not married to each other did not converse on the street. They didn't say, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Nice dress. They did not talk at all. But then the fact that she was a Samaritan and Jesus was Jewish was an even greater cultural hurdle for this relationship to clear. But it was Jesus who initiated the conversation. And in this conversation, as she is coming to this well in the middle of the day to draw water, Jesus' disciples have gone off to town to find something to eat. Jesus begins and just engages her and says, could I have something to drink, please? As you're drawing water, could you give me something to drink? And and as you read the biblical account in John chapter 4, you can almost feel the tension in her response. It's almost like you you can kind of see her going... But Jesus didn't stop. He he continued the conversation and and he engaged her right where she was. And and he said something so profound. It's found in verse 13 of John chapter 4. Jesus said to her, you know, anyone who drinks this water from the well will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. 
It will become a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. A fresh, bubbling spring, eternal life on tap, if you will, and we will. Now, when Jesus says eternal life, say the word life. You and I think, you know, breathing, he's got a pulse, put a mirror under the nose, it fogs up a little. Okay, he's got life, carbon-based organism. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. In the original language, the word life in the original Greek is zoe, just zoe, which means soul-giving, soul-filling kind of life. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's not just talking about having a pulse. He's not just talking about living and existing. He's talking about what the Bible elsewhere refers to as the life that is truly life. You know, I know from my own life, my own experience, but also from talking to hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people over my lifetime, that there's something inside the human condition that gets thirsty from time to time. There there are times when we thirst for something more. Some of you here may be thirsting for something more right now. You, You may be here today and you're a single adult and you're thirsting to get married. You, you're just like, I, something's got to happen. Something's got to give. The clock is ticking. And that's okay. That can be a very, very real God-given thirst. There are others of us here who may be married and we're thirsty for a marriage that works. <laughs> we're, we're thirsty for, for a husband who actually pays attention and like really cares about what your needs may be, or maybe a husband who's thirsting for a wife who is supportive, who is encouraging, and who speaks life into his life. I don't know where you are this morning, but I do know that Jesus satisfies every single thirst of the human soul. There's not one thirst that has ever been experienced or felt, one pang of thirst that Jesus Christ does not satisfy. And so that's why we've called this series Life on Tap. Now, I know that for some people that could be kind of a risk. You, you might be like, I don't know if you want a life on tap. And the, you know, what about beer and church? It's, it's alcohol. I, I don't know. Well, if I can, just for a second, I think this is a perfect opportunity. I've never done this before, but I want to just take a brief little, I'm going to break every cardinal rule of communication that there is and give you a little distraction within the sermon, if that's okay, which I think is appropriate when we talk about alcohol, because alcohol is kind of a distraction in our culture. Tell your neighbor right now, it ain't that big a deal. Some of you really meant that, but it's really and truly not that big a deal. We make a bigger deal out of it than it is. Some, some of us make a big deal out of it because we grew up in a, in a home or maybe a religious environment where it was completely off limits. You just do not do that or you're going to hell without an electric fan. It's just not going to be good. And then there are others of us who maybe make a bigger deal out of it than it is. And man, it's like, man, party, woo! You know, I think God would have us live somewhere in the middle with with some very real common sense. Now, it's interesting to me that the entire Bible uses alcohol as a picture 
of the presence and the favor of God. It does. As a matter of fact, I've listed some here for you right now. The reality is that Jesus is the life of the party. If the party is life, Jesus is the life of the party. Now, I've given you some passages here. Psalm 104, 13. Ecclesiastes 10, 17. John chapter 2. You see here biblical references to alcohol that are, that are positive. You know, a lot of people say, well, I don't know why you get all hot and bothered about drinking. And we don't, by the way. We're, this is not a legalistic kind of a place. But some people are like, Jesus drank wine. Je- you know, Jesus drank wine. Turn water into wine. John chapter 2, look it up. Jesus drank wine. And that's true. Jesus drank wine. That's great. That doesn't give us the, the freedom to be stupid about it. But it's true. Jesus drank wine. Now, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus went a step further than drinking wine. He used wine to describe his presence in the world. As he was trying to communicate to people what it meant that God had become flesh, that the new covenant was here to fulfill the old covenant, Matthew chapter 9, verse 17, he said this. He said, no one puts new wine into old wine skins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wine skins so that both are preserved. Jesus is saying here, the reality is, with the, with the, with the coming of the kingdom of God in human form, everything has changed. Everything has changed. He's using a, he's kind of giving a chemistry lesson here. In this day and age, everybody knew when you put new wine into new wine skins, the, as the new wine ferments, the gases expand, and that new wine skin has to be able to expand with it. The old wine skin has already expanded and stretched as far as it can go. But when that new wine, if you put that into an old wine skin, as it expands and stretches, <laughs> It will explode, ruining the skin and spilling the wine. So Jesus said new wine has to be put into new wine skins. Everything has changed. Everything is different. That's what the Bible says. But the Bible is also very, very clear about the warnings concerning alcohol. You and I both know we can make some foolish decisions concerning alcohol. Proverbs chapter 23. Now, Proverbs is, of course, God's book on wisdom. Proverbs 23 says, Don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. I think everybody here today knows people who have been bitten by this viper. I think every one of us knows people. Maybe you are a person who has been stung. And I think that that verse from Proverbs right there is a great word, especially for our students. For our students, when you're, when you're growing up and, and you think, oh, I'm going to go to high school. And then I'm going to be free. I can do whatever I want to do. I can go out to parties. And I can drink like a grown-up. Remember this. Most people who drink a lot, do not act like grown-ups. Just as a general rule. That does not help. And and so I think it'd be helpful for us as grown-ups, especially rearing our children, if we kind of remove the taboo and say, look, it's not that big a deal, but it is something to be aware of. It is something to know what God says so that it doesn't bite you in the end, is what it says in in the Bible. 
friend, the end, it bites like, I don't know if that's the end of the story or in the end, but it will bite you. So let me, let me just give you a couple of guidelines, if that's okay, just a couple of guidelines to be aware of in this brief little distraction from the main part of the sermon. Drinking alcohol is okay, number one, when it's not an escape or a comfort. It's okay. If you want to have a cold beer with, you know, let's say you just finished mowing the yard and God happens to have allowed some Shiner Bach to be in your refrigerator, you take one of them, stick them in the freezer for about 18 minutes and you're, that, listen, that's fine. That, that's, that's fine. But if you use alcohol as an escape to get drunk, to cop a buzz, and, and let's be honest, there's, there's that gray area and there's like, no, no, I'm fine. Listen, if you're using it to numb anything as an escape, then you're using it in a way that doesn't honor God, in a way that God can't honor in your life. Or if you're using it as a comfort, something like, well, you don't know the day that I had with the kids. I need me a girl's night out. I, listen, I get it. And this is not being moralistic. Do, do that. That's not what this is about. But the Bible is very clear when it says, do not be drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine. Why don't be drunk with wine? Because you can't function right. If you're a grown-up and you cop a little buzz, you take the edge off, and you're kid is riding his bike in the cul-de-sac and falls and has to go to the emergency room how does he get there it's just common sense it's common sense now if we're using alcohol as a comfort as something to to make us feel better in the moment then we're using alcohol to replace god in our lives because god is our comfort he is our refuge and that has become now an idol in our lives so drinking alcohol is fine as long as it's not an escape or a comfort. And that's a heart issue. You have to be honest before God. I have to be honest before God. It's amazing to me. This happened about 13 years ago. I don't know if you know this. Today, actual today, is the 17th birthday of Lake Hills Church. It was September the 7th, 1997. We had our first service. Yay, God. Yay, God. But about 15 years ago, maybe, I can't remember, 14, 15 years ago, Julie and I were going out to eat one night. We went to a Mexican restaurant and we walked in and there were some people in our church. And I don't, I don't care. But when we walked in, I'm not even kidding. Let's say that this is a bottle of Scheinerbach. They got up from the table, and the husband stood up to shake my hand. And as he did, he took his napkin from his lap and draped it over the bottle. Pastor, how are you doing? Good to see you. I mean, really? And, and, I, and I understand it. But again, it's not that big a deal unless we're using it as an escape or a comfort. Second little guideline to remember. Drinking alcohol is fine as long as it's legal. If it's legal. If you're not yet 21 in the state of Texas and you're a Christ follower, don't drink. It's not that hard. 
It's pretty simple. Now, why would I say that? I would say that because of what God says in Romans chapter 13. In Romans 13, it says, everyone, say everyone. Everyone. Uh Uh-oh. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. It's pretty simple. If you're not 21, don't drink. That's one of the great things about student ministry. That that high school students, middle school students, college students who aren't yet 21 are around other people who support them and encourage them in the church. Parachurch organizations are fine as far as they go, but they're not the church. It is the church where you meet people and are surrounded by people who help you, who encourage you, who challenge you. And who will tell you, yes, you can get it to 21 without drinking any alcohol. It's absolutely possible. I love it when parents go, well, I know they're going to drink, so I'd rather they drink at my house. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Smart people, smart people saying dumb things. I've done other dumb stuff, not that one, but I've done other dumb stuff. Smart people can do stupid things. If it's illegal and you're a Christ follower, don't do it. So, Drinking alcohol is fine as long as it's not an escape or a comfort, and it's legal. After that, knock yourself out, figuratively speaking. (laughs) Because remember, Jesus is the new wine. Now, when Jesus says he is the new wine, that is a profound, profound statement. Three things I want want you to keep in mind as we go through life on tap, and I want to encourage you and challenge you to make weekend worship a priority over the next few weeks. As we explore this conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well, it's a fascinating exchange. But when he says elsewhere that he is the new wine, first of all, we need to remember that the new wine is good. The new wine is good. I think for some of us who maybe have been around church for a long, long time, it's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that Jesus is just good. As you know, as you worship him, as you pray, maybe driving down the road or in your private place of prayer at home, to just begin listing all of the ways Jesus is good. He's good. He's the creator. He he has you here. He has me here. That's a good move. That's an act of love. Jesus is good. He's provided everything that we have. He's given us the gift of his church. It's it's good. Jesus is good. Second of all, the new wine is refreshing. The new wine is refreshing. You know, sometimes if... I understand vintages and those sort of things, but if wine gets old, it can kind of turn. You know what I'm talking about? New wine is very refreshing. New wine brings life. My wife, Julie, is kind of like that. Julie's just one of those people, man. She she is refreshing. To be around Julie is to be refreshed. For, For me, as forget about the pastor, forget about anything else that I get to do. Just as Julie's husband, it's good to be with Julie. She, Julie's a haven. She is refreshing. 
I think the people that you were thinking about inviting to that meal at the beginning of the message today, those people are refreshing. We've got plenty of people, all of us, in our lives who, who beat us down, but these are the people who lift us up. Jesus refreshes. He, he makes new all parts of our lives. But then the third thing about new wine that I think is really, really important is that new wine is satisfying. New wine satisfies. Every thirst of the human soul is satisfied in Christ. Every thirst of the human soul is satisfied in Christ. Wherever you thirst, wherever I thirst, Jesus is enough. Jesus said something really fascinating in John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, Jesus said, anyone, say anyone, anyone, anyone. Tell your neighbor right now, hold on just a second, take the verse down for just a second. Thank you so much. Tell your neighbor right now, that means you. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Anyone who believes in Jesus may come and drink from this life on tap. It's available. It is there for the taking because he is available. Because he has already done the work necessary to facilitate a relationship. Here's the thing about life on tap. You can't earn it. I can't earn life on tap. I can't go to church enough times for God to give me life on tap. I can't help little, little old ladies across the street at 6th Street in Congress for God to give me life on tap. I can't not cuss when the Longhorns lose enough times for God to give me life on tap. Life on tap is a gift. It's a gift that was accomplished through Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's why in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said very plainly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. This is what Jesus said. Now that's a bold claim. I want you to think about that for a second. You know, for those of you who may be new this weekend, you'd come in the door and be like, well, you know, great band. And, and I can tell you the story and I can say, you know, when I was in college, I played basketball at the University of Texas. And you would kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, really? Doesn't look like it, but okay. And then you'd go to lunch with whoever invited you and they'd be like, he didn't play at Texas. Matter of fact, he didn't play anywhere. I don't know why he said that, but he didn't play anywhere. And then you'd be like, man, I mean, the band, the, the worship was incredible. Root beer before the service, but the preacher lied. I'm not going to church there anymore. That's a joke. Understand that Jesus cannot lie. He can't. So when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but through me, he was saying something really profound. Yes, he's the way, the truth, and the life, but he's also saying that he's God. He's God in the flesh. 
And if he's God in the flesh, then you have to decide, is he telling the truth? Because you, you can't just look at that claim and say, well, he was just a good teacher. You know, there have been other good teachers throughout the years. Jesus was, no. If he was God, that's in a whole nother level than a good teacher. But if he wasn't God, then he, he might have not known that he wasn't God, but he made the claim. He, he might have been a little crazy and a little off, and you'd be like, oh, man, that's so sad. This guy thought he was God, but he wasn't. So maybe he was crazy. Or maybe, if he's not God, maybe he knew that he wasn't God, but he was just conning the world. It was just the greatest con that the world has ever known. He wasn't crazy, but he was a con man. And if he was really a con man, then you can't say he was a good teacher. Because good teachers don't con people. Good teachers tell the truth. And, And by the way, if you go with con men, what do you do with the crucifixion? Where do you put that? Because I've, I've known some con men in my life. I, I've, I've seen it happen. I've never known one con man who wanted to follow the con all the way through to death. I'm going to be honest with you. The first time I saw nails coming to me, I'm like, just kidding. Just kidding. It was a, you, You've never heard of a joke? But Jesus didn't do that. He went all the way through the cross. So... If you, if you don't say, if you say he's not the Christ, then he's either crazy or he's a con man. And if he's crazy or a con man, you can't say he's a good teacher. But if he's the Christ, the son of the living God, then you can't say he's just a good teacher. He is living water. And he's invited you like he's invited me into a relationship with himself. If anyone believes in me, it's not just believing that Jesus existed. It's believing that he is the way and the truth and the life. That he and the Father are one. And that he is good, refreshing, and satisfying. This is Jesus. Psalm chapter 34, verse 8, is a phenomenal piece of the Bible to memorize, to to internalize and just own personally. The Bible says in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that he's good. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to invite you to please protect this sacred moment. Some here in this room have stepped into that relationship with God. And you've tasted and seen that he is good, but sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Sometimes we need to retaste and worship and celebrate God's goodness. But I know this morning there are people here who have never trusted the goodness of God. You've never personally stepped into a relationship with God. And I know that even that phrase maybe is kind of a foreign concept, but all it means 
is that you begin to love God in response to the fact that he loves you. That you confess your sin. You claim his forgiveness. And you begin to live in relationship with him right here, right now, once and for all. If you're here today and you've never taken that step, we want to invite you to do it right now. To just pray a prayer of commitment, a prayer of beginning. In essence, just to say, Jesus, I'm yours. I want to invite you to pray that prayer. If you've never done it and God's leading you right now to take that step of faith, of trust, Just right where you're sitting, just silently pray and talk to God and just say, Jesus, I need you. I need, I want you and your life on tap. I confess my sin. I acknowledge it before you, holding nothing back. And I claim your forgiveness right here, right now, to walk in a new life with you. And I pray this prayer, Jesus, in your name. I want to ask you just to remain in a spirit of prayer with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for another moment. But if that was your prayer and you meant it for the first time in your life, I want you to know that this is the greatest moment of your life. There's never been one more important than this one. There will never be another one more important going forward because of what God did and how you responded in this moment. And so it's big. It matters. And if you just prayed that prayer, I want to invite you just right where you're sitting just to mark that moment and raise your hand with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you would just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head. And as you hold your hands up, yes, yeah, absolutely. I want you to know something that's real and true is that All of heaven celebrates this moment in your life. With your hand up as you mark this moment. All of heaven celebrates this. And so it matters. And I want you to know also that we want to be your family of faith. If this is where God wants you to be, we want you to be here. And we want to help you grow in this new relationship. You matter to us. And just for the record, we need you. We'll be better because you're here. And we hope to help you. We pray to come alongside and help you grow in this relationship. As you discover more completely and more fully who God created you to be. And since this moment in your life matters in heaven, it matters to us. So as you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home.
welcome home.